Good morning to you. Have we had a great time in worship today? What a great lead in to the message series on Dorisville. Amen. God is just good. I tell you what, God is just good. We had a wonderful week in Florida. I really, you know, right before I left you two weeks ago now, I told you it's very important to look for God in all these different places. And, you know, in just so many ways, we saw God on vacation. And, and this wasn't like, you know, like, you know, a voice from heaven or anything, but just ways. I said, God is so good. God is so good. And I, the first thing I want to say to you today as your pastor, God is good. He is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God. And we saw that evidenced in the worship today. Uh, the last thing we saw, I am redeemed. What a powerful message that is. And we do start a new series today entitled The Church at Dorisville. And here's what I want to do. Over the next five weeks, I want to take us down a journey and look at the big picture of the church, but also the individual picture of the church. Um, Dorisville is a, I think, and David said it, and you will see it in a lot of places, we really strive to be a hands-on kind of church. And a church that really does believe in touching the lives of people, and as he said, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We try to be Jesus. Um, if you're a Facebook person, and I'm doing this very much on, you know, on the cuff, this part of this, uh, one of our members wrote something on Facebook that really just blessed, me, blessed my socks off. And she was talking about how the church administered to her family uh, during a time of need. And how that, that she said, the Dorisville Church, you know, says they try to be like Jesus. And I want to tell you, they are. They are. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we're on a journey. And the journey is a journey that leads us to be Jesus to this world, whether it be next Sunday afternoon or whether it be in Haiti or Nicaragua or whether it be in Africa or in Canada or in East St. Louis, wherever it might be, to take and be Jesus to a world that desperately cries out for that very name, the Lord Jesus Christ. So over the next five weeks, we're going to journey. And today's message was entitled, Happy Birthday. And we want to look at the birth of the church. Actually, no, no. We're going to look at the birth announcement. You know, there's like, like there's two times it's really big news. When a young couple um, finds out that they're expecting a child, you hear it all over Facebook, you get emails, you get phone calls. We are expecting. And what we see in the scripture today is we see Jesus Christ projecting, announcing the coming birth of the church. And it's just an exciting scripture. Now, let me give you a little precursor. We're going to do something already different. I think we're going to whack this thing in half again, not for time's sake, but for content's sake. And what I want to do is we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is, if I remember right. Matthew 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 16. Hello. Matthew 16. And, and what I want to do is back up. Now, let me give you the precursor, the warning. And this is a very, very common scripture that we've heard many, many times. But here's the deal. The church today is an identity crisis. The church today, um, I think probably back in 1910 when Dorsville started, you know, and that culture, the church had an identity. And it kind of knew what it was all about. And what it was about was the gospel. And we did really well. And somewhere along the road, we got misdirected in who the church is. We, we have an identity crisis. And, and it largely became an internal thing. It came about us thing. And then slowly today, um, probably about two, three, four years ago, it really started turning back the other way. People are starting to understand that, that we can't earn God's favor. Now, that sounds commonplace, but it really wasn't. We, we, we seemed like we were taught in the 50s and 60s. 
How that if we do really good keeping the rules, that God smiles. And, and, and if we don't keep the rules, he doesn't smile. Um, that there's an angst in his voice. And we are rediscovering the power of grace. And we're re- rediscovering the wonder of serving this God of grace. Not as a motivation to gain his favor, but rather as an act of love and devotion to him. So I'm really excited about today's scripture. But I'm really excited about the scriptures coming up. Now, I'm going to get some else out of the way. Today, every, every well, let me say this, every week, and I don't know how it happens, we're located in the middle of virtually nowhere. If you're talking about signage, you're talking about down, you know, First Baptist on the Square, we're not an easy church to find. But every week, new faces show up at our church. And we are so blessed with that. I mean, I just, I just can't believe how it happens week after week. Some of you have been coming, this may be your first time. Some of you have been coming for three or four or five weeks. But what I want you to know is this. When I speak about the Dorisville Church, when I speak about the church at Dorisville, I want you to understand your name does not have to be on a roll somewhere to be a member of the Dorisville Church. In the sense that if you are a believer, you are a part of the body of Christ. And that's what Dorisville is. It's a body of believers. So when Brent talks about showing up next week and doing back to school, or when we talk about mission trips, we talk about various activities and things we do. If you are an tender at Dorisville, you're part of that family. And not only do we want you, we need you to be a part. Some of you have never gone through a back-to-school experience, and you're probably going, what in the world is this, dude and dudettes? You've just got to experience it, all I can tell you. Uh, Dave probably said it right. You're going to want to drop by the time you're done next week. But you are going to be incredibly blessed as you show up next week. In the name of Jesus Christ, we serve and touch these people's lives. And again, in, in the name of Christ and in the hope of sharing the gospel, being the gospel. We heard a story... Because I'm cutting short, we can kind of like, you know, talk. You know, we heard a, a, a sermon from another church um, this week as we were traveling. And it was a Muslim guy. And Judy thinks it's 30-something, but, but we'll go with 28 to 35 years, somewhere in there. This, this was a guy who um, worked with Hussein over there. He, he was guilty of killing Jews. Um, he, he has a lot of blood on his hands. Um, and so he decided to leave that area. He hated Jews and he hated Americans. And uh, so he decided to come to America, though, because he finally figured out that stronger than a grenade in defeating Israel and America would be an education. So he came over under educational visa. He stayed and he met a guy at a restaurant. And the guy simply said, uh, thank you. You're a very nice man or young man or something like that. And, the, and, and this guy was taken back by this American's kindness because he had been taught that Americans were horrible. Uh, that, that were very uh, hard people. And he was taken back by this. And this began a relationship. And the, the guy that said the kind words, name was Charles or Charlie, and he began praying for this young uh, Arab. And now, again, it didn't happen in one year. It didn't happen in five years, but 28 to 35, depending on what time you grab there, later, this man received Jesus Christ as Savior. Incredible. So, so what we do next week and what we do when we go on mission trips and what we do um, when we go to East St. Louis and what we do when we go to Chicago, Brent, Yes, we do. If, if the opportunity presents itself, we instantly share the gospel. But, but if we don't get that opportunity, we are seed sowers. We're seed sowers. We're seed sowers. And we're sowing that seed out so that we may not see the harvest, but one day when that harvest comes, we'll have a hand in it because we were sowing that seed that day. So we want to look and see what kind of church is Dorsville and, and 
What is the church itself, the big picture of the body of Christ? What is that church? Well, for us, our beginning began back in May of 1910. I've got this statement on your uh, sermon sheet if you want to pull that out and look at it. It says, in May 1910, this was taken from the Centennial book, which we celebrated four years ago. In May 1910, 22, and I love these words, 22 strong-hearted Christians determined the need for a Baptist church in the Dorsfield community. So on May 15th, a council from area churches found them to be Baptist in belief and practice and constituted them as the first missionary Baptist church of Dorisville, Illinois, or the church at Dorisville. And so we, our roots, our roots way back then were people who believed there needed to be a gospel witness in the Dorisville community. And the reason we're still here and not on a highway somewhere with a big old brand, brand new fancy building, the reason our sanctuary looks like it does is because we believe, as these 22 people did 114 years ago, that this community, now including Harrisburg and Sling County and often beyond that, that this community needs a strong gospel witness. In our case, it happens to be at 1300 South Feasel Street. That's why we are here. We are here, here to be a light to our community of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did all that start as far as the big picture? How did it all happen concerning the big picture? Well, that's what Matthew chapter 16 is all about. And again, forgive me as I, I go back and teach you something that I know you've heard many times before. And I want to go ahead and start in verse 13, guys. I don't know if you can get that on there or not. That's okay if you can't. Uh, take your Bibles, though, and turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. It's just a wonderful, wonderful scripture. It helps us with our identity crisis to understand who we are and what we are about as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we start in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, they had a big advantage. The advantage that they had was is that they could see Jesus face to face. They could walk down to the market. If Jesus happened to be there on that day, they might well see Jesus heal a blind man or cure of leprosy or, or feed 5,000 people. They could see that. They saw that witness. So, so it really caused chatter on the street about who Jesus Christ was. They saw this young rabbi, this young prophet who did things so differently than the establishment did. That he did something so differently than the local rabbis and teachers and Pharisees did. It was amazing to them. And so Jesus knew this and said, who these people say that I am? Now, here's the problem. Now, listen to me carefully. In the culture today that we live in, especially in America, this has been lost. In too many places, in too many blocks of our community, in too many blocks of our, our country, Jesus has a bad rap. And it's not because Jesus is bad, it's because God's people have not well represented who Jesus was. Now, Jesus is all about holiness. But I'm telling you what, the truth is, Jesus was about people too. And he, he would likely be seen with a prostitute. He'd likely be seen... You know, we, have a, we have a couple right now out in Sturgis, uh, South Dakota. He, and they are amongst 600,000 of the most carnal people in the world. And they are there. You know why they're there? They're there being the light of the gospel to that dark place. And that's right where Jesus would be. If, if, if Jesus was alive today, you say, where's Jesus at? I'm not sure he'd be in a church as much as he'd be in the middle of, of 600,000 motorcycle riders, many of whom, most who, but vast majority who, could give a flip who he is. But that's where he would be. That's where he would be. So, so the, the culture that we live in, the church has turned so in that most people, when they think of God and they think of Jesus, the favoritism's not there like it used to be. 
because we've misrepresented who Jesus is. Now, understand when I say we, I talk about the church in America, not necessarily our church. So keep that thought in mind. So, so in so many places, the church has misrepresented the Savior of the world to the point people say, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. So, so Jesus asked the question, so who do men say that I am? Well, the guy spoke up. In verse 14. So they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So, so the conclusion was, the, the talk on the street was, there was no doubt that Jesus was some sort of religious leader, and that he paralleled some of the great men, some who had lived very recently, and some of the prophets from the Old Testament. For instance, you know, there was no doubt that, that John the Baptist was a zealot. He was passionate. About his thing. And, and some people looked at Jesus and saw this passion, this zealotism about, and you know what's cool is, his, his being a zealot wasn't about overthrowing the Roman government, it's about overthrowing hell. Come on now, come on. His, his passion was about overthrowing the darkness of this world. That's what, he was all, that's what this was all about. This was an explosion of grace on God's part when, when Jesus came and died on the cross. That, that, that Satan might be overthrown. That Satan might be defeated. That sin and darkness and death might be defeated. That, that we might celebrate life and victory in Jesus Christ. So, so some saw Jesus and saw this, this passion that he had. Other people saw, saw the miracles. Elijah was the greatest miracle-working prophet. I mean, he had some great credits to his name. And some people, when they saw Jesus, they saw Elijah either resurrected or imagery of Elijah in Jesus' life. And they said, just like he heals the blind and he heals the leprosy. And he even feeds like, like thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And they saw that in him. And, and some saw Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. You know, Jeremiah many times had, had passion and, and compassion. For people. And, and certainly when they saw Jesus, oh, you had to be at the grave of Lazarus. Even though he's fixing to speak and Lazarus is going to be resurrected. When he looks around, he sees, he sees Martha and Mary weeping. He sees the Jewish people. Could, they, they said, couldn't he have done something? Couldn't this man have done something to raise Lazarus from the dead? And he sees all that and he weeps. Knowing, knowing that he's fixing to resurrect the guy from the dead. He weeps. You want to know why? Because Jesus hurt with the people. So, so some people saw this and they said, he's like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And, and there were other analogies that, that, John, that Matthew simply lists as some of the other, other prophets. And then Jesus asked the question. This is just huge, Ange. This is huge. So he looks at the guys, the disciples. He says, okay, okay. So who do you think that I am? We've heard the chatter on the street. Some say passionate. Some say miracle working. Some say uh, a weeping savior. Man, who do you say that I am? And this is so big. When Peter, Simon Peter goes and says this. You know, here it is. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, in order to really grasp what Peter's saying, you've got to get a hold of this. Peter has been taught since he was this knee-high to a grasshopper. He's been taught Messiah's coming. And when Messiah's coming, he will be the deliverer. Now, he still had a twisted vision of what that meant. He couldn't grab the cross. He couldn't grab the sacrifice. But he's been taught since a toddler that Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. 
You are the one that since I was a little boy, my mom and my dad at family altar time would tell me Messiah's coming, a deliverer's coming, Messiah's coming. And, and Jesus, that's who you are. But then he tags on this huge part. You are the son of the living God. Now listen, that's what sets this church, the church, not this church, the church apart. The man that we worship today is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried on a grave and resurrected on the third day to ever to live. He defeated death for us. That's what this is all about. Those powerful truths. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as a church, we mustn't forget that. Listen, listen, listen. Now, there's a couple times I'm going to get sappy. There's a couple times I'm going to get fanatical. But don't, don't miss, don't tangle all that up in what I'm trying to, to say today. In this world, and I'm not bashing the world, I'm not bashing other churches. But in this world today, the culture we live in today, there is a definite call for compromise. There's a call amongst churches to let it go, let it go. And they try to say, it doesn't matter what you believe. And there is a push today to, to lessen, this doesn't make any sense, to lessen Jesus and Christianity. Don't say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't say that it's by this messy cross, this, this blood-stained cross. Don't say that the blood offends people. Don't say that it's by the sacrificial death. There's a culture that says, you know, throw in a few works. Say, yeah, go ahead and believe the cross, but add in some works there. There's a culture today in America, a big culture in America, that wants to soften the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. There may be some, some things in the Bible you can, you can say okay on, you know, minor, minor doctrines, little small things. But when it comes to the virgin birth, when it comes to the sinless life, when, when it comes to the sacrificial death, when it comes to his physical burial and his physical resurrection, his ascension to the Father and his promise to come back, there is no compromise. There is no compromise. Listen, this is the message of hope that we bring today. You take away the blood. You take away the resurrection. You take his victory of death out. It becomes religion. And religion can do nothing. 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 So, so when Jesus said, oh, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the God, that was huge. That was powerful. And then Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, you are blessed, Simon Peter. Now, I love this. Listen, listen. You are blessed, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Isn't it cool Jesus said that? Notice one thing. It's going to be important in just a minute. What name did Jesus use? The old name for Peter. The unregenerated name. You are Simon, son of John. You are Simon, son of John. And you need to know something, Simon, son of John. You didn't come to this conclusion on your own. But my father has revealed it to you. Now you need to know something. 
If you're here today and you're going, oh gosh, it's one of those loud Baptist preachers. What am I doing here? They promised me lunch, but is it worth all of this? You need to understand something. You're just sitting there going, okay, I, I believe in God. And maybe one day, one day I'll do the Jesus thing. Uh, maybe one day I'll investigate God further. You've got to understand something. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that we don't come to God on our time or on our terms. We don't come when we're good and ready to be saved. We come as the Father draws us to His Son. Jesus said, you know, no man comes to me unless the Father draw him. And what is happening here is Peter's having revelation from God. God is doing a work in Peter's life. And I promise you, if you're here today, God wants to do an incredible work in your life. He doesn't want to call you to religion. He doesn't want to call you to a bunch of rule-keeping people. He wants to set you free by His amazing, wonderful grace. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new life. I knew like when I was in Uganda, I told them, I said, I've come to tell you about a, a man who can change your life. And that's what the church is about. I've come, I've come to set you free, Jesus would say. I've come to set you free. And, and Peter, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. My father has showed you. Now listen, I don't you miss. If you're here today, and you might just hear a shout from heaven, or you might hear a still small voice. And that still small voice is saying, You need my son Jesus. You need forgiveness. You need a Savior, and my son is the Savior. And if you feel that tug, if you felt not to join a church, not to quit bad habits, not to be dumped in some water, but if you feel that pull, that realization, wait a minute, I'm a sinner, and God's not, and we're separated, and this preacher is telling me today, and the Word tells me that there is a way that I can come into relationship with God through what His Son did on the cross. Today might be your day. Today might be your day. Don't wait. Don't wait. He... If He's calling you and beckoning you, He's calling you something better than you have ever experienced. I meet with Jeremy every week. And I have compassion for Jeremy because he's misled. The boy insists on putting sugar on his grits. And I've said, Jeremy, don't put sugar on your grits. I am calling him to something better. And that's salt, pepper, and butter. The way, the way grits were intended. God is calling you from a life that you may think is good, but the only reason you think it's good is because you've not tasted the best. And the best is Jesus Christ. His amazing grace, His forgiveness. It's an incredible, incredible invitation. So, so, so Jesus says, My Father has revealed this to you. Now, now, now if you look at the sermon sheet, now we're on the sermon sheet. If you've got your Bible, that obviously we use mine. But listen to this. This is huge. And I also say to you, Peter, and I think to the group, but I say to you that you are Peter. Now, did you know something? Before he said, Simon, son of John. Simon, Barjona. Now he says, Peter. I honestly believe that's a picture of Peter before and Peter after. We see this in his restoration too. When, when Jesus speaks to Peter, if you came um, Sunday night, Wednesday night, wherever it was, and we talked about that, that he said Simon, and then later says Peter. 
So Jesus was the one who gave Peter the name. And I'm not sure you can argue, debate, when the disciples all became Christians. That's not my point today. But my point is that Peter, at some point, trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And it could be well right here. I don't know. You, you figure that out. But my point is, Peter was not the man he used to be. I know that our Catholic friends, using this scripture, tried to say that Peter, Jesus is saying that, that Peter on you, I'm going to build my church. I can't find that. I can't find that in this scripture. But what he is saying, Peter, you were this, and now you're this. Our sister Katie sang it. Peter, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. And what's so cool is, Peter wasn't perfect. I mean, Peter's yet to deny Jesus. Peter's yet, later on in Acts, to to fool another fupa. But, but he says, you are Peter. You are a redeemed man. And, and he goes, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the word Peter is the word uh, Petros. A small stone. Small stone. So, so Jesus says, you are a small stone, Peter. But upon this rock. And the word there is Petra. Petra. And the word Petra means bedrock. Bedrock. So he says, now watch. He says, now you're a small stone. And I'm not going to build my church on a small stone. I'm going to build my church on bedrock. On bedrock. Now I think it's very important that we understand we are redeemed. But we're not the bedrock of the church. Being Baptist is not the bedrock of the church. Being a member of Dorsville is not the bedrock of the church. We, we got to keep in mind, I don't, care, I don't care if you're the biggest family in the church. I don't care if you've got relatives who are the charter 22 members of the church. I don't care if you're the most talented person in the church. I don't care if you're the richest person in the church. I, I don't care if you're the most talented person in the church. You need to understand something. You're not bedrock. This church is not about individuals, staff, preachers, deacons, family, economic situation. This church must be about Jesus Christ. He's the bedrock. He's the bedrock. Now... If we keep this focus in mind, if we'll stay focused on this bedrock and keep in mind who we are, and we are redeemed, but we're not the center of the universe. We're redeemed, but we're not the middle of the world. You are Peter upon this rock. Now, this is so important. So what's he saying? What what was he communicating? Most theologians, guys a lot smarter than me, will tell you that they believe most likely that that Jesus is talking about not even himself. He is the cornerstone, amen? He's talking about the truth. The truth that you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Now, again, what sets Christianity apart, if I can use that term, what sets Christianity apart is Jesus. It's not the way we dress. It's not the way we talk. It's not the rules we keep. It's not how tall our steeple is. It's not how fancy our building is. The bedrock, we serve the risen, living Son of God. That's what it is about. And that's the message we're going to share next week to these thousand people that come through. Either with words, and there will be words, every family will be prayed for. 
But the message we have is Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way by God's grace that you come into relationship with Creator God. That's the truth. It's not, again, it's not some other uh, motif. It's not some other uh, mantra, matra, mantra that, that we have. It's Christ. Now listen. How many are all going right now? I've heard this in Sunday school since I was five. But how many of you really believe that? How many of you live it to the, believe it to the point of living it? Acting it out? Applying it in your life? Upon this truth, this bedrock that you are the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And I know this is where you kind of go, okay, here comes the preacher part. I can't ignore it. I will build. Who builds the church? It's not some guy with a personality. It's not some charismatic leader. It's not cool music on Sunday morning. It's not even the wonderful relationships we enjoy in small groups. It's Jesus. If you want to, listen, if you want to pack a church out, if you want to build building upon building upon building, if you want to build, if you want to fill a church that can't hold all the people, be Jesus. Give Jesus the room to be Jesus in what we call worship. In our ministries, on our mission trips. Again, you said it. If you just go and feed people in Africa, you have fat Africans who spend eternity in hell. We've got to do more than a social gospel because a social gospel is no gospel at all. The gospel is the spilt blood, God's amazing grace, forgiveness of sins, and going to a world where there's no hunger or pain or suffering, a place called heaven. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so he says, he says these powerful words. I'm, I'm going to build my church. Again, whose church is it? It's his. It's his. Now, now, some of you remember me teaching on this probably this year, so bear with me if you remember it, but I really think it's important. Now, the word church there is not really an accurate translation of the Greek. You're going, oh, here he goes again. The word there that is church in the Greek is ekklesia. It means called out ones. And somewhere in our history, about 300, 400 A.D., a translator used a German word, kirch, where we get our word church. And the church went from being a body of believers to a building. This building is not the church. You are the church. You are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones. And Jesus says, as I bring people into my body, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my called out ones. Buildings really can't share the gospel, but those who have experienced the gospel can share the gospel. And that's us. That's us. So when we, when we come, I saw it said once, but when we come here, understand you bring the church with you. This is a building, and this building could be a gym, this building could be many things. This is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. The ones who have experienced God's amazing grace and forgiveness. And so cool because another picture in this Peter, this rock, build church thing. Is the idea of small stones coming together. This bedrock is made of small stones. So you had the bedrock of the truth of Jesus Christ. That I am the Christ. And then God calls these small stones. And he starts building his church. And we simply are.
the church at Dorsville. Overall across town, seen on a square, is the church at that part of Harrisburg. Over here is a church over in Doors Heights. We are the church at Dorsville. And God has enabled us and invited us to be a part of his wonderful and marvelous work of bringing people to know his son, Jesus Christ, personally. Is that not cool? Isn't that powerful? Now, now when you start really believing that, it's a game changer. When, when, God, when God and when your, your faith in Jesus goes from something that happens between 9 and 11.30 on a good day, when, when it goes beyond that, to loving people, touching people, sharing the gospel, experiencing. Andrea shared with me in Canada, she got to lead a young boy to Jesus Christ. When it goes to that level, ooh, it's like pecan pie with ice cream. It gets better and better and better. And I want to tell you something. If I could, this is going to sound sappy. I wish I could tell you how proud I am. And I know Brent would say this. I know Dave would say this. How privileged we are to serve at a church that wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are like so imperfect. The staff is, and we are. We do not have a corner on the market. We, we mess up real regularly as a church and as a staff. But isn't it cool we've been redeemed? And God just said, hey, I'm going on a journey. You want to go with us? And we just simply said, and that journey takes different ways of back to school and Chicago and Haiti and, and, and feeding people in the park one day. It takes all those different journeys. And God said, we get to be a part of that. And it's just incredible. It's just incredible. I'm, I'm going to build. I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my church. And I love this. And the forces of hell. I love the King James. The gates of hell shall not overpower it. Now. This is so cool. The church today, many churches today, are anemic. They're powerless. Now, now sometimes that's because we got off track and all that stuff. But you know what a lot of part of it is? It's we started believing the lies of the world. We started believing that that the church is no longer relevant. Now, I'm talking about not, not a building, but, but the body of Christ, that's no longer relevant. Um, we're, we're believing that, that the church no longer has a place, that the church is a failure, the church is this, the church is that, the church is this. Now, here's the deal. When we start believing what the world says about us, we crash and burn. Where's Katie? Isn't, isn't that what your song's about today? I've been redeemed. Now, the world would tell you not been redeemed, right? They wouldn't tell you that. They'd say, oh, oh, no, no, not, not redeemable, failure, trash, junk. Who would want it? And we, as it, if you start believing that junk, if you start believing that junk, you start living that junk. Hey, look at me. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you are redeemed. You are blood-bought. You are forgiven. You are a child of the king. God doesn't care about your race, your economic status, what your address is. You are a child of God. Believe that. And when you start believing that, you start living that. It changes your whole approach. 
And I'm telling you, listen, Jesus said the gates of hell will not overpower his ecclesia, his church. We are not a bunch of losers. By God's grace, we are victorious because he is victorious. He is victorious. Not us. It's not what we can do or can't do. Just like we can't earn God's favor. We can't pull this gig off. I mean, we've got a lot of great volunteers that are going to show up next week. We can't do that. Oh, we can go. We can put on an event. But we can't do an event with eternal consequences without the help and empowerment of God. So if you're one of those people who are believing the news, if you're one of those people who think that the church had better retreat, retreat to the fort and close the gates and get on the walls with our guns to shoot the enemy, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. In fact, gates are defensive, not offensive. You know that in the armor of the, the Christian armor, you know the only part not covered? It's the back. Christians don't retreat, we advance. We have charged the gates of hell. I'm, now listen, I know I'm a cocky little preacher. I got stage on Sunday morning, and y'all like to hear that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, we need to charge the gates of hell. Don't you dare back up. When our staff starts backing up, we're afraid of what the town thinks about us, what the world thinks about us. Let's have a deacon's meeting. We need to talk. And here's the sappy part. Someone ought to be thinking about right now, boy, I'm glad he didn't go to that other part. We'd never get out of here. When we came back from Germany in 1980, that's 34 years ago. I had hair and it wasn't gray. Did you have hair back in 1980? Amen. Amen. Did you have a mustache? Probably not. Probably not. Oh, well, you're a, you a he-man eight-year-old, dude. We sang in a musical. And the musical is called God Has Always Had a People. And this was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. And believe me, Bill had the poofy hair. Listen to this. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, that he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it's fought its way through solid rock. There have been charlatans who, like Simon the Magician, who sought to barter on the open market that power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people. Men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase. Yes, God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message was nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. It has been gold-plated, draped in purple, encrusted with jewels. It has been misrepresented, ridiculed, blotted, and scorned. These followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of the times, escalated as sacred leaders and martyred as heretics. Yet through it all, there marches on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people that cannot be bought, flattered, murdered, or stilled. On, the, on through the ages they march, the church, God's church triumphant, it is alive and well. Now listen, child of God, it's alive. Discouraged pastor, it's his church, and it's alive. 
Lonely missionary, sow your seeds with confidence. It's alive, my brokenhearted friend. Old saint, you're not alone and forgotten. The church is alive. Busy mother, cast your cares on Jesus. It's alive, young student. You're not alone in serving the Lord. Faithful father, there's rest in the Lord. The church is alive. So cynical skeptic, you haven't killed God with your noisy unbelief. He's alive. So family of God, raise your hands. Praise the Lord for the church. God's church triumphant is alive and well. And it is. And it is. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, as we face our culture today, we can do so with the confidence that we serve a risen Savior. He is in the world today. He lives. He lives. So the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Almost done. He said in verse 19, I will give you, pause, you, Peter, pause, you, the immediate 12, Paul's 11, pause, you collective, the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. What's he saying? We have been entrusted. We have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what heaven binds is bound on earth. And what's bound on earth is bound in heaven. There's eternal power in the authority of Jesus Christ. Now listen, listen. What we do, Tim, what we do as believers in Christ. What we do, Gary, as a church of Jesus Christ. We do so with authority. We do so with authority. And the authority that we act in is the authority granted to us by Jesus Christ, King of the universe and beyond. So what we do as a church, we can do with confidence. You take a police officer. He pulls you over and writes you a ticket. He does so with the authority vested in him by those granting that authority. What we do in Harrisburg, in Chicago, in Canada, in Haiti, in Nicaragua, in Uganda, in Niger, and and Mali, West Africa. We have an authority to do that. And that authority is Jesus Christ. You know, have you ever seen referees at ball games? You know, it's really funny. There are some referees that are just like, you know, big. I mean, not, not big, like big. Like, like I'm not big. And there's some referees that are kind of like me. They're kind of short. Probably need to run the court a little bit more often. Okay. And then, and then there's just little skinny referees. Now, what happens when the big bulky guy blows his whistle? Game stops. What happens when the shorter, little pudgier guy needs to run the court up and down a little more time? Game stops. What happens when the skinny little fella blows his whistle? Game stops. It's not because he's big or he's a little pudgy or he's skinny. It's the authority vested in them by the makers of the game. We've got authority, I'm trying to tell you. The government's not our boss. I said the government's not our boss. 
Society is not our boss. We have one boss. His name is Jesus Christ. And He has granted, listen, He has granted to every believer here today authority to act in His name doing kingdom work. When we gather here next Sunday afternoon and those 1,000 people come to this building, we have authority to minister in the name of Jesus Christ because that's authority He has granted. Isn't that exciting? I mean, it really, really is. So what is the church? The church is a group of, of believers, the body of Christ, whose loyalty belongs to the king of the universe, who loved us, who died for us, who resurrected for us, and is coming back for us. What's the church? As you'll hear in coming weeks, it's a group of believers commissioned with the high privilege of serving this king. What is the church? His hands and his feet and his voice. That's the church. I've already shared you at the beginning, but I'll share it real quick just in case you I want you to miss it. How you join the church? Well, you join a church by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How you become part of the ecclesia? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you become a member. And I say God doesn't care if you're black, white, green, or yellow. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. If you're willing to turn from your sin, and we'll talk about this next week in detail, but if you're willing to turn from your sin and believe and trust in Jesus Christ, then God says, welcome to the family. So here's my bottom line today. If you're here today and you heard enough of this, if you're feeling God tug at your heart, if you've been coming for several weeks and God's been tugging at your heart and you're saying, I need to do something, there's a good possibility that something is trust Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't leave this building today. Grab your friend's hand. Grab your mama's hand. Come down and Brother Brim be waiting down here. We want to share with you how you can come in relationship through Jesus with God. It's incredible. Let today be your happy birthday as you're born again into the family of God. In church, we've got seven days and about two and a half hours before we gather here to start setting up for what has been in the past. I'm sure God will do again as we follow His lead. The biggest event of the year for us. My bottom line is this. What do we need to do? What do you need to do individually and we as a church to prepare to be hands, feet, and voice next week for a whole lot of people and a chunk of them will not know Jesus Christ as Savior. I won't be His hands. I won't be His feet. I won't be His voice. Let's pray. Father, it is such an incredible privilege to share these truths today. It's beyond my comprehension how you take mere mortals like us and you invite us into your family, into your, into your presence, forgiving all the wretched junk we've done by your grace. And then you go one step further. Invite us. Commission us. Challenge us 
to share your son with this world that we live in. How powerful. God, I want to pray for my friends right now who have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. Oh, let, let them have the courage, even today, to walk out and take Brent by the hand and say, okay, okay, I want to know this Jesus. Give them that courage today. And Father, so many of us have made that decision already. As we prepare ourselves for this coming week and the weeks beyond, the months beyond, and the years beyond, let us see, Father, what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of your ecclesia, your church. Father, may I just tag in and say thank you for May 1910 when some people had a vision for a ministry here in Dorsville. And thank you, God, a hundred and four years later, a hundred and four years later, that vision is still there. Thank you, God, for that. Now have your way in this your time. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.